0: You feel be-
1: Thank you for checking out this episode of Raised on the Radio. If you like what you hear, do us a favor and go to whatever podcast app you use and hit that subscribe button. If you like to watch your podcast, we have a YouTube channel as well. Go check us out there and leave some likes and some comments and get in on the conversation. While you're at it, give us a like and a share on the socials and tell all your friends about Raised on the Radio. A little side note here for you musicians and artists out there. If you like the beats you hear on the show and need some inspiration or would like to get a hold of one of these beats, make sure to hit up our good friend, Ace Ha at Ace Ha Beats on YouTube and at Ace Ha Beats on SoundCloud. Raised on the Radio has a brand new promo code for one of the best nutrition and supplement companies in the business for you to use. In today's world, it is tough to navigate through the craziness that is the supplement industry. It's also easy to get caught up in the crazy labels and promotion instead of really knowing the ingredients in the products and the quality of the product. With True Nutrition, whatever you're looking for to satisfy your health and wellness needs, they have you covered. They even have a whole section of their site that is dedicated to vegan paleo keto and dairy free products just go to the newly revamped true look at all of the great products place your order and when you go to make your payment type in r-o-t-r in the promo code box for five percent off of your entire order you won't regret it and you will never have to question the quality of your supplements again raised on the radio's listenership continues to grow with every episode we are always looking for great sponsorship and collaboration opportunities if you or anyone you know has a business they are trying to grow and want to jump on board with us, email us at raised on the at gmail.com. We would love to connect. If you would like to get a hold of Patrick Blair or myself, you can reach out through email or on the social medias. You can reach us at raised on the at gmail.com or on the raised on the radios Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok pages. We also have a website where you can find all of our content. Head on over to raised As always, If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or topics you would like to get our thoughts on, don't hesitate to reach out. If you've been keeping up with the show or following us on social media, you know that Patrick and his wife are expecting a baby anytime. Well, that beautiful baby boy is here, and everyone is doing great. But Patrick may be out for a week or two, so we're going to be putting together a few best-of episodes to get you through. We thank you for the continued support, and we'll be back soon with new content. So let's get into it. So, so what, so... The track could be worse than music video what's the basically just the the environment that you set up for that music video is there a reasoning for that or was it mainly just you want to see you guys and feel the words of the music
2: yeah no so with the video i wanted to capture the whole like i used to party and now i'm content just like staying home nice and so it was like being at home writing reflecting. And then I just wanted my friends involved in the in the performance, so those are just like that. Those are people involved in my team. So I, I just I just think that uh, being with the friends gave it like another intimate feeling to it, separate from just being me. Right. How long have you been doing stand up comedy? Uh, stand up, I was only a year in when I okay. uh, when the pandemic hit. So, kind of what happened was. I wrote music since I was like 14, just like songs, um, just rap. And it wasn't until comedy that I really learned how to like put all of the effort into my craft. So I learned like I was rehearsing and practicing and writing all the time. So when I applied that same effort to the thing that I've been doing my entire life, I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? You know, sorry, can I curse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fine. We're, we're terrible. I'm, I'm,
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm terrible. He's not that bad. Yeah. To okay. Say whatever you want.
2: Yeah. I'm like, what what have I been doing? like comedy is awesome. And, and, and that's not something that I'm going to give up. But it's like, why didn't I just continue doing like what I'm already ahead at, you know?
3: Yeah, for sure. So were you, so, I mean, were you doing comedy
1: ahead. before you started at Acme or is that like, did you start as like a door guy or something like that? Or how, how's that?
2: Yeah. So I'm, I was living an hour away from Minneapolis and, uh, I had a, a corporate job selling glasses and I was miserable and I tried stand up there a couple times cause my roommate got me too. And I, I was hooked. So from that moment on, I was just like, I need to leave this job and like follow my dreams, move to Minneapolis. Cause there's nothing for me here.
1: So were you hooked because it was really, you had a really good set at the very beginning or were you hooked because you didn't do well and you wanted to be good at
2: it? You know, so actually like my first set went really good. I was very prepared. Um, I killed it. And then my second set, I got cocky and I thought I'm just good at this. <laughs> so I didn't prepare as much and I fucking bombed. <laughs> um, but I was hooked from both of those things. Cause nice. the b- bombing, it's so mortifying that you, you're like, I have to redeem myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: You have those moments on stage as a, as an artist, as a musician as well. So I, I can imagine that that's only going to help moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. I've been there. Um, so who are some of your influences when it comes to comedy?
2: Um, favorites at the top are Tom Segura, uh, Louis C.K., uh, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Uh, love, Jesselnik, man, I, all over the map. I like really fucked up humor. <laughs> Nick's one of your favorites, right, Colt? He is. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: We, we we're
3: both giant. I mean, we talk about, actually talk about, stand-up comedy on the show probably more than we should because we don't know a thing about it other than that we're fans <laughs> we talk like we know the biz um just because we follow all these guys like segura and joe rogan and Jesselnick and yeah all those guys um so that's it's actually funny that you also do stand-up comedy along with music because it's they're just two two very large topics of our show topics of conversation on our show or both of those things so that's perfect, perfect. Yeah. perfect. <laughs> yeah so uh how how are how soon do you feel you'll be back to either doing comedy and i'm this is sort of pandemic based mm-hmm. question here but how soon do you feel you'll be back to doing comedy or even performing have you performed at all because i know people have found these loopholes as far as performing goes we've had it we've had a few friends here do some very odd odd shows with people there but it somehow it worked i guess but so has has that even been an option for you in minneapolis
2: um so we had one little. We, we rented out a bar our friends rented out a bar um, to have like a private little thing for our friend's birthday beyond that we performed once so when it comes to comedy and music right now the the music is kind of taking off and I'm just I just am itching to perform it on stage yeah. so that's gonna be the next thing and yeah we don't we don't know we don't know how soon but we're gonna have a Bunch of music ready for whenever they're ready for us. Yeah, yeah. Have you had
3: any venues open up out there and, and, like, on a small, like I said, like, sort of a limited capacity basis, or is it everything shut down?
2: So, yeah, places are opening. Comedy Club has been open uh, at a limited capacity. They have shields uh, up between people. Um, but no, I, I don't think the music open mics are back up yet. Nothing. And not like the main music menus either. Those are still closed. Yeah.
0: It gets a little warmer outside and people can put on some gear. Then we can stand outside and perform. But until then, I think we're just busting our asses, like trying to get stuff piled up so that when we can perform, we can showcase what we've been working so hard at.
3: Yeah. So are you guys going to officially like make it sort of a duo type approach when you start playing shows, or is it going to be, we're separate artists, but we work together often. So here's this package. Are you going to package it as like we're we're a duo?
2: I think that uh, our plan is to do both. So we yeah. our single artists, and then also have a um, a duo that mm-hmm. we're still trying to think of a name for. So <laughs> you got any suggestions? Anybody, Bull, what do you got? <laughs> Give me a name right now. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't have oh,
1: any names at no. the top of my head, but what I'm thinking about is like when you're doing something solo is you in that cowboy hat and a robe on stage trying to trying oh, yeah, to pull man. something off. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I like to keep it interesting. There's so many like sides to it, you know? Right. So do you uh are you a, a little Dicky fan at all? Yeah, yeah, I love little Dicky. Um I have think you I already think started the- getting the comparisons of of course, man. Yeah, People okay. are like, you know who you remind me of? And they wait for me to say it. And I'm like, I'm not going to say it. Like, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, don't don't, don't, don't say give them it. that satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Like, I've gotten it before. And I totally get it. And it makes sense. Uh, I, I make little, like, Jewish jokes because my mom's Jewish. And uh, obviously, a lot of comedic influence in my rap. But then, like, little Dickies not doing shit, like, could be worse at all. So there's like so much, I have his style, but there's so much more to it. And there's so much that people haven't even heard yet. Yeah. I'm I'm
1: always, I'm always hesitant about, doing what you just did like I, I see how you didn't try to compare him you like you d- tried to make him say it too like <laughs> i never you, I n- have you heard <laughs> <the> Little <dick? laughs> yeah. like i never well, i Luba never want to be Luba. that i never want to be that guy who asks and then insults that person like no i hate yeah. that guy
2: <laughs> dude that's a compliment man he's he's extremely talented you know yeah well i
3: the, the only reason i asked that is because of the comedian turn or yeah. you know, comedian turning to to well especially hip-hop because he tells his story the same way he was like i i, I I was working a job I hated, but I always thought I was funny, but I didn't necessarily want to do stand up. So I chose music. Um, But if I'm picking like, and this is just opinion, but if I'm picking someone that I think you sound like and it's what attracted me to your style immediately, Colt, you're probably with me, maybe not. Um, I think you sound like Aesop Rock, which is both yeah. one of our one of our
2: favorite artists. Damn. I've gotten that too, man, and that's also a giant compliment. Because I hope so, because we both love <laughs> it, <this. Yeah, man. laughs> I mean, and that's Minnesota. So yeah. atmosphere, Aesop Rock, and and conscious yeah. lyrics. You know, like actually talking about something.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I, the first time I heard you, that's the that's the vibe that I got, and that's what made me keep listening. So
2: cool dude Uh, just keep those compliments coming
4: (laughs) i'll take that all day i
2: appreciate that and uh yeah but well little dicky it's like all right both of our names are dave uh the jewish thing i'm a moron the community (laughs) thing like the comparisons are there so i don't know i think uh over time people will just realize that it's a completely different thing and they can enjoy both of us
1: for sure
3: do you have so? Let me ask this: Have you probably not? But so, have you toured at all? With you, either, either with because you said, well, how you said you're doing stand up for what I was a year? A year before? In a
2: comedy. So I was like just starting to gain steam. But when I say gain steam, I mean like just starting to get like seven minute sets instead of three and five yeah. minute sets. The comedy it can be fast, but generally it's such a slow snowball. So. Yeah. No, I was not at the point of touring. I've never toured. Okay. It's my, uh, it's my dream.
1: <laughs> yeah. You hear, you hear those so stories you- about like even the big, biggest name comedians, how they started out. And it's like, I was a door guy for, you know, a year. And then I started hosting a little bit and then I got to be, you know, the middle guy. And, you know, it takes, it seems like it takes a, unless you just pop and blow up immediately somehow, you know, it's, it's a yeah. long ride to the top.
2: Well, even the guys that do well for a long time, like take Burt Kreischer. Burt Kreischer was headlining clubs for a decade before he came out with the machine story. Right. He puts machine story out on Facebook, it goes viral, and he blows up and it's just crazy how you could tour across the country and be pretty popular, but like really no one knows who you are that doesn't go to see comedy. Right. So it's, it can be a decade-long thing. That's what they say. Like, you're not a comedian until, like, 10 years in. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, social it. media has completely changed it, especially so that – but my next question was going to be, so with music, are you planning as soon as you can, obviously, to tour with it, um, you know, and what the approach was going to be? and Because uh, I know, like, just we have so many, so many friends that also talk, talked about how not being able to tour right now, but still staying active on social media, which it, you know, you do. So it's vitally important to just keeping people interested, having consistent content and stuff like
2: that. So, I mean, being able to have both, I think is going to help you tremendously. Do you agree with that? I totally agree. Um, And to be honest right now, we didn't know when that ball gets rolling again with live performances. So, This has been a blessing to learn the social media side. Mm -hmm. Um, My social media has doubled in the last two months um, as far as reach and following. And we're learning that so that when we are touring, we don't have to focus on all that as much. And it's kind of already like a routine. But I agree, just equally as important.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: You you mentioned earlier that like you, when you you guys kind of talked about, should we just keep on working on this? And you went back to her apartment and you were listening to beats and stuff like that. As far as the beats go, where do you, where are you finding these at or or, are you making them on your own or?
2: So they vary. Um, Since I was 14 years old, I've been getting beats from YouTube and uh, they link you to websites and you buy the rights, certain amount of rights to them. Um, And then recently, so we have a team, we have a couple guys that also make beats. So we'll go between all of our outlets like we just met another producer in spain so honestly like i don't care where i get them like i'm just itching for 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 beats so i go a lot of different avenues and we just um began our start to learning how to make our own nice
0: the where the music video was shot is the school that we record at um it's been shut down during the pandemic so they're in there every day. Him and our, his producer Neil—they're um, in there every day, like a nine-to-five job. Uh, meanwhile, I'm—I have an office job right now, so that's <laughs> a little painful for me. But we're figuring that side of it out. Um,
2: another really but, fun part of the story is, yeah, the where we record—that's um, another like the stars just aligned because. Our friend Neil was a, he's an assistant teacher at the school. When the pandemic hit, they obviously closed and they, they were going to shut down and all the students, or not the students, the teachers band together to uh, help pay the rent. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, as a, an outcome of that, the, the owner basically just said, listen, you guys are paying the rent. We're not having people come in physically for classes, so you guys can use the studio. Mm-hmm. um so neil and i are there monday through friday from 10 to 6 10 to 7 and and i can only imagine how much money that studio time would be so
1: right for sure yeah, you can't beat that
2: forever grateful
0: and we're learning a lot of the technical side too from being there so much with recording our own stuff making our own beats um this is just like the start of us learning and we've gotten this far and
3: four or five months. So we're
0: excited. Yeah, that's
3: great. Yeah. Every, every time we have, uh, musicians on most of them, I would say most so far have said, yeah, I'm just doing it all myself. Forget Mm -hmm. about this and that. And working with other people, obviously collaborating is good, but like most of them have been like, I had to learn to do it myself. It's just cheaper. It's I can get more done. I can do all this. So yeah, that's great that you guys are taking that approach and yeah. So before we get out of here, please, by all means, give our listeners everywhere they can find you guys, everything they can listen to. Blast blast the socials, the YouTube. Absolutely. Tell, them where they, tell them
2: where they can find you. The shameless plug, you can find us both. Uh, I'm on all platforms at Dave Belk. That's D as in fucking little dicky. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> no, 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 I feel no, like no, an no, asshole no, now. No. Not at all. Uh, So that's V-A-V-E space V-E-L-K. That's on all platforms, YouTube, Spotify. Um, Your turn. Uh,
0: And for me, uh, everything's under Bria Scow. So B-R-E-A-S-C-O-W on Facebook, Spotify. um, I'm on YouTube. Don't have a lot there yet, but we'll get there. Uh, Instagram for sure.
3: Cool. Cool. Nice. Well, we're definitely going to try to get as many people there for you guys. We're going to be looking forward to new music. Like I said, we have quickly become fans, so we wish you nothing but the best and How did you how did you end up, well not end up, but how 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 did you get to American Top Team? Cuz and to, and for our listeners that aren't in the know, I mean, we're giant MMA fans. We talk about it all the time, but you know, for our listeners that aren't in the know, I mean, talk about some of the savages that train with American yeah. Top Team.
5: Besides yourself, obviously. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to name them all. I don't like to leave guys out, but I mean, just like some big names, you know, obviously Dustin Poirier, George Masvidal, Marlon Moraes, Edson Barbosa, uh, Pedro Munoz, um, Kyoji Horiguchi. A lot of people don't know, is, you know, I think he's a little bit under the radar, but I mean, he's one of the best pound pound fighters in the world. And the list goes on and on. I can't even... Remember. Only the who's who of MMA. <laughs> yeah, literally like some of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the whole world are, are right there, you know?
3: Right. That's a, great, best coaches. that's a great spot for you. So, I mean, how did how did you get there?
5: Yeah, What was that like? I actually uh, was in quarantine here in Pennsylvania last spring and I was just training at home. I couldn't train anywhere. Uh, we were locked down and I got asked to come down and help uh, George get ready for Usman for that very first fight. So it was like May when he was still thinking he was fighting Usman before they canceled it and made it Usman versus Burns. And then that fell through and made it them fight again. Uh, yeah. I went, I got called down to help him get ready. So I got asked on, on like, you know, whatever day. And the very next day I was on flight and then I was down there for like, I don't know, maybe two months, two months straight. Even after the flight got canceled, I, I stayed down and they invited me to stay. And I stayed down there until like mid July before I came home again. And, and then now I've been there ever since, obviously. Are you, are you, what did you work on with him? wrestling striking, yeah. all of the yeah, above. i was i was teaching him how to kickbox and uh you know he was teaching me some jiu-jitsu okay that's a joke yeah i was i, was there to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrestled him yeah, every day i just wrestled him um and uh just trying to hold him down keep him on the wall and stuff and working on his get-ups and it was fun man i got jacked because every single day twice a day i was just squeezing squeezing and wrestling and trying to ride so my shoulders got nice and big and i wasn't cutting weight so i got real heavy and it was nice it was a good time period
1: have you uh have you had a chance to talk to him since the last Usman fight
5: uh no i just sent him a text you know just like just like um you know as a, as a friend yeah for that's sure. the, I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't seen him or anything I'm, I'm, in, I'm in florida or pennsylvania he's in florida so gotcha yeah i
1: think fi- i figure so i figure after that you're probably excited to get back down there though right Train with them again? Yeah.
5: Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I, I'm just excited for me and him to, like, not have fights scheduled and be able to just train without, like, an agenda, you know? Right. Because the last – we were, we were kind of on similar schedules. Like, we both had a fight coming up the last couple months, so he was getting ready for his fight. I was getting ready for my fight. It's nice to be able to train together when we don't have fights, and he can, like – I learned so much from him, you know, just to, like, touch spar with him and learn and, and just be in there, you know?
1: Right.
3: So you mentioned GSP. Um you know, as one of your kind of your influences when you were younger, as far as MMA goes, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's any secret to anyone that follows MMA that he's one of the better wrestlers the UFC has ever seen. And he used that wrestling to kind of keep his opponents guessing. And like, yeah, he never really knew what he was going to do because he would always just, you'd never knew. I mean, is that kind of what you're trying to inflict into your style and like bring into what you're doing when you take it into the cage?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I think, You know, one of my favorite things about George uh, St. Pierre was that whoever he fought, he would just take it to where they were weak, right? If he fought a great uh, jiu-jitsu guy like Jake Shields, he kept it standing and outstruck him. And if he fought a great striker, he would take him down, you know? And it's a little bit harder to do now, I think. The the game is changing, you know what I mean? Back then, it was guys were a little bit more one-dimensional, where now it's like guys can be really good off their back and really good strikers. But I still like the whole concept of that. You know, I want to be able to, like, if I'm fighting a great striker, I can take him down if I need to, you know, but if, I, if I'm fighting a really great Jiu-Jitsu guy, I'm good enough on the feet that I can outstrike him on the feet. So uh, I like that blueprint that George laid out. Definitely, definitely.
1: Yeah, I guess the only bad thing about that is like, your casual mma fans if you're trying to build a, a fan base per se you know your casual mma fans just want the knockouts right so even if you're yeah you know you're shooting for whatever they're weak at if, if that means we're taking it to the ground for you know five rounds or three rounds or whatever you know you're not may uh yeah fans might not might not like it a whole lot but you know you got to do what you got to do when you're fighting somebody in a cage
5: yeah, it's tough. You know, like I, I want finishes, man. I, I'm not – look, even if I'm fighting the best striker in the world, I'm not looking to go out there and just like shoot the first chance I get because I'm so terrified of on the feet. I want to strike and see how I can do, you know. And if it's not going my way, I'm not I'm not going to be an idiot and put my put my health on the line for the sake of some people who have never fought a day in their life, you know. Right. I'll shoot and take just them down. And if fuck I- them. If you don't have a problem, if you got a problem with it, then get up. You know what I mean? Like get off the ground. Exactly. Uh, right. The last guy didn't really try to get up, and so it makes it kind of boring. You know, I was disappointed when they try to get up and they open their guard. Then things things can happen. You know, some action, some scrambles, some striking. But I don't know. I don't care. I'm I'm looking for finishes, but I'm also I'm also not in there to, uh, you know, to get injured. That makes total sense. Do you think so? And this is
3: something we we talk about. Just when we talk about a fight card that we watched or something, I mean, we do. And we talk about the casual fan a lot. I mean, I consider myself to be more of a casual fan. I know Colt does as well. But, like, do you think it will ever get to a point where wrestling becomes – wrestling in MMA becomes something that the casual fan will gravitate to and and be expecting and be happy when it happens? Because even during this last – you know, these last few cards, you hear people get a little disgruntled with the wrestling. And I'm like, well – And I, and you know, my wife will ask me like, well, why, why I don't understand, like the guy's doing well, why are they doing bless her heart? And I'll go, well, they just don't understand what's happening. They don't understand how dominant the guy is in order to be in that position and control the fight the way that he's controlling it. You know?
5: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, you know, because if you, if you really like no jujitsu and no wrestling, like it's very exciting to watch, uh, the ground game because when you understand what's happening, it's, it's amazing. But I think I think we're gonna move in that direction. I think even um, this past weekend, you heard some cheers whenever there was takedowns. You know what I mean? Like when Usman slammed George, like people were cheering. Uh, surprisingly enough, in Miami when they're they're they against Usman, I heard cheers just because it was a big slam. Even you know what I mean? Like I think we're headed in that direction. But what are you gonna do? You know? Like can you imagine? Can you imagine if uh, if it was a wrestling based sport and people who were strikers their whole lives were expected to wrestle? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And just throw the striking out the window. Like people expect you, if you're a wrestler all your life, to go in there and be like, well, I'm really good at wrestling, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to strike. You know,
3: it's crazy. Besides, besides George, is, is there anyone else like wrestler? And I'm, you know, using air quotes there, that was considered to be a wrestler and then evolved into striking that you kind of inspires you as well?
5: Um, i trying to think. I don't know, man. I like, like I uh, love to watch. I love to watch Habib. You know, I, I like watching him. He's yeah. not 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 crazy striker, but he's an underrated striker. Um, I think you proved that with Connor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. The wrestling changes everything. I think Usman's kind of transitioning into that role right now, where he, he's got some pretty good striking, yeah, and uh, he's not even like an amazing re- like. It's not like he's going in there and taking guys down and mauling them. I mean, I, I haven't seen too many fights where he's taking guys down and just beating the shit out of them. He takes guys down and controls them, and he's getting good at striking. But I like Tabib's style, you know, because he was taking guys down and doing damage. I like Georgia's style, um, you know. Dillashaw's Dillashaw's a wrestler, you know, that that strikes, but he doesn't really wrestle. Yeah, kind of strictly strikes. So you got some guys like that that were wrestlers that don't. Uh, I mean, Justin Gaethje was a wrestler, and he he doesn't he doesn't wrestle at all. I don't know if he's ever shot a takedown in the cage. I we, think we, I think we were talking about that. Yeah, I don't think he has.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> talked about I that. You even times. said that zero before attempts. the
5: Khabib fight, like, yeah, it's crazy. I was just re-listening to the Rogan podcast with him and Whitman, and I'm pretty sure he said he has zero attempted takedowns. Are you a? Uh, uh, this just made me think of this. It's something that I heard recently that we've talked about. Are you a Michael Bisping fan? I do like Michael Bisping. I think he's. I, I like uh, I like listening to him talk. Man, he's funny and he's he's yeah. uh, really charismatic. He said uh, before the last UFC pay per view. I want to say during whatever
3: show it was, but he never, he never attempted a submission in the UFC, not once. No and shit. I thought it was, I thought it was ju- just thinking about it, and then I started replaying a lot of his fights in his head, and I'm like, I don't know. Uh, he, yeah, I'm just like thinking of like the big names that he fought, like Vitor and Luke Rockhold, and like, yeah, I don't know if he ever did. That's crazy to me, but yeah, hard man, to believe. That's what you're saying. I mean, sometimes you adapt and you do what you need to do. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of your, do you have like, so you said that like, you like the boxing aspect of it too. So was boxing something as a young, like in a teenager as well that you you watched as well as MMA or was it mainly
5: MMA? It was mainly MMA until semi recently. Like definitely when I graduated college, I got really big into boxing. Like I've watched probably every Canelo fight and I've watched it um, over and over again. All the triple G fights, all the Floyd fights, all the Lomachenko fights. Um, I'm a big fan. You know, I love watching it. It's not super applicable to MMA because the distance is different and like those long combinations and stuff. You can't quite get away with those. I still love to watch it though, and even if I take, a, I do take stuff away from it. You know, I mean, just just from watching, I feel like I watch a bunch of Canelo stuff. And then one day, like, I'll just do something in sparring. And I'll be like, man, I never practiced that before. But just from watching it so much, it's in my head, you know. So there's something to to be said about just watching, you know. Okay.
3: So I have to ask, anytime we have a a real (laughs) fighter on the show, I have to ask. Just, you don't have to give me a long thing about this, but what, what do you make of Jake Paul in this situation? Do you think that, my dogs are going crazy, do you think that it's, Helping the fight business or hurting the fight business that this guy's getting all the attention that he's getting? I already know you would kick uh, his ass. That's not the
5: question. <laughs> I already know that. Yeah. But. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like I don't know what to think about it. My my gut tells me it's hurting. Um just because I favorite. watched I watched the the tail end of the Ben Asker and Logan Paul, is that who it is? Jake or was Paul. It Jake Paul? Well, Jake Jake both Paul. of them. Both of them. Yeah. Jake Paul is he seems like a bigger douche, but I don't I haven't watched the other one really. Thank you. But uh he seems like a douche um just watching just watching the the tail end of that and seeing snoop Dogg and pete davidson (laughs) it hurt my heart like I was like this is this is is disrespecting the sport of like real fighting like these are two guys that that wouldn't last a second you know what i mean like you just pay to watch them fight each other you know like who cares to hear them talk and then we got them talking and making a joke with the sport right and we got youtubers fighting and i don't know i mean hey if they're making money that's awesome but it's not real fighting
1: i I still don't see how celebrity boxing i still don't see how we have we actually have logan paul and floyd mayweather though
5: i thought that was a joke until i still think it's a joke i still don't think it's gonna happen
1: really i mean they apparently it's apparently set like settled now
5: like it's it's happening i don't know man i don't know i don't even i don't understand I, i don't
1: understand why mayweather would take this why why is he why would he take this so seriously
5: uh well, I, probably okay. won't take it seriously you probably won't train for it probably just go no. in and, and piece him up for however long he wants to and get collect a paycheck you know right It's exactly i mean if yeah. you're fluid it makes sense like you're gonna make a bunch of money to fight some guy that doesn't have any chance against you no matter how big he is you know true
3: no. yep <laughs> so yeah so I, thank you for answering that i i know you're probably tired of hearing it and being yeah. asked about it but i so i grew up watching boxing, my dad sat me down in front of the television and we watched like Mickey Ward and Arturo Gotti and George Foreman, Evander Holyfield and Roy Jones, all these guys. So like, I have a profound love for boxing in my heart just because I grew up on it. And I love MMA too, but like, he always, he always questions like, why are you so worked up about this? I'm like, well, because boxing has its enough problems that as it is when it comes to emotions and Yeah. People not fighting who they should. And we don't need and I'm saying we like I box, but it doesn't need a guy like that coming in and getting more attention than actual fighters, you know, because there were real boxers on that card that
5: didn't get the attention that they deserve, you know, so it's just it's a bummer. But what can you do? It's too bad, man. I don't know what the answer is. Stop buying it, but everyone buys it so Thank you. <laughs> who are you gonna who, do? who did it? Who did it? I don't know. I didn't buy that shit. <laughs> who did it? I ain't buying that. And I heard it was fifty bucks. I was like, Yeah, if it's like five bucks, maybe I'll fucking for Ben Askren I'll watch it. But uh fifty bucks, yeah, right.
1: Were you a Ben yeah, Askren I was- fan
5: beforehand? Not really a Ben Askren fan, but he's a wrestler and he's uh, representing MMA. And I was like, I put some money down. I was like, man, the odds for Ben to win in the eighth round, I think, were like plus ten thousand or something. Holy cow! So so I put like thirty bucks down. I was like, man, if I win three grand, I think. Because in my head, I was like, dude, maybe that's how Ben Ben Askren's gonna win. It's gonna be like maybe an eighth round, like Logan Paul, like he's never been in a real fight. Like maybe he gets overwhelmed because he can't finish him or something. My fingers were crossed. I, I mean whatever. I loved Ben's attitude before the fight.
3: Cause he, you could, but I was predicting it. Like I was like, I don't think he cares about winning. I think he's just, when yeah. that check clears, he's going to go, okay, how quickly can I get out of here? Not saying yeah, so that he, he wanted to lose and that he took a dive, but. Yeah, I just don't think he, like his attitude was like, okay, if I win, I prove that this kid's not that tough. If I lose, yeah. I go back to my life. I go to my wrestling academies. I continue yep. to be a coach. Nothing changes. And I love yeah. that attitude. Like he didn't get wrapped up and they like, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck this dude up and that's going to be it. Like I got to prove yeah. that I'm the real fighter. And like, he didn't take that approach at all. And I, I appreciated that. I didn't yeah. like the outcome, but you know, same, same. Yeah.
1: I think we, I think we like him a little more because he's a Mizzou guy, you know. Oh, but that's not right. too right, far yeah, away, There's that. But
5: yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep, but our, our, you know, my first ever Bellator event that I went to was in Missouri. Oh, really? Was it Rampage? Uh, 2018, whatever. 2018 in May. After, so I finished college. That was. Nationals in March 2018, and my one teammate from back here in Pennsylvania fought, and I flew out with him. And I was there for in Missouri for that fight. Pretty nice. sure I was there. I think it was Rampage and Michael Chandler fought on that card. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a good one. If yeah, that's Chandler the one, was that... there? Chandler was there because I was. Yeah. in. I was he knocked in out
3: Pitbull, the other Pitbull.
5: Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yep, That's a great card. Yeah, man. Yeah.
3: So look at that full circle. You go to your your first <laughs> Bellator event, and there you are. Now you're. Yeah, m- I, m- I, m- 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 I met
5: Rich Chow and all them guys, and then here, now here I am fighting for him. Nice. Awesome.
1: I remember my question from a while ago. I was there, gonna there. say, as far as the takedowns go, and you hearing cheers, I was gonna say, well, fans are back in the stands now, so now it's like maybe they're just wanting to cheer for anything that they can because they're back in the yeah. in the stands. So my question was gonna be, how does that affect you? Because you haven't gotten to fight in front of fans yet, or or yeah. I mean, amateur level you did correct, but not
5: not professional
1: yeah. yet. So do you think that's gonna affect like- you any or motivate you anymore or?
5: I don't think it'll make a difference at all honestly. Okay. I don't think about that stuff. Like anything that's out of my control, I don't really think about or care about or you know, doesn't doesn't get in, you know. Gotcha. Okay. I like it.
3: All right, world, we are back for episode 51 of Raised on the Radio. As we mentioned, we have a very special guest today, former NFL player, now current entrepreneur, Chris Gronkowski. Sir, how are you?
4: Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You okay
3: with those titles? Do you like ex-NFL player, now entrepreneur? What do you prefer? I always feel weird about introducing people like that.
4: Man, it's all good either way. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
3: Let's just get into it. Let's talk about the business. Talk about Ice Shaker. Tell us about it. Obviously, you've had a, a quite a run with this business. So we both follow you on uh, on the social medias and all that good stuff. We've seen plenty about it. But tell tell our audience about it,
4: please. Yeah, man. Well, first off, I got to get Colt switched over, man, because I, I saw him break out something else earlier and take a sip out of it. So um, we got to upgrade his <laughs> shaker. Oh, I, her,
1: I, I, I apologize for that, man. <laughs> my bad.
4: <laughs> it's all good, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but, but what it is is just, um you know, after my NFL career, I was I was living a healthy, active lifestyle was here in Texas, you know, super hot out. I was going to work. I was bringing one cup. Was coming home, I was grabbing a plastic shaker bottle, heading to the gym. You know, by the time I got there, it was warm, was sweating everywhere. It smelled awful. And at that point, it was like, hey, let's go home and just get a bottle that I can use all day, every day. You know, bring it to work. Uh, bring it to the gym as well. Um, you know, chill on the couch. You it and. and I figured I'd just go and, and jump on Amazon and, and snag something because at that time, you know, there was a bunch of insulated bottles out there, but when I went and started looking, there was just nothing that you could easily fill easily clean that would still keep your drink cold and, and have the ability to actually shake and blend some stuff up. So I was kind of shocked by it. And, um, at that point it was, Hey, let's go out and do this myself. Let's make the best bottle that I can for myself. And I started on this journey. Um, you know, it, it sounds like a very simple idea, uh, I kind of just took an insulated cup and I put a shaker top on it and that was the first cup. And, um, it's a little harder than you think. It, it was about 20 prototypes later. Uh, once you try to seal a metal cup, um, you know, you gotta have the right seal. You gotta make sure it doesn't leak. That's kind of the biggest issue with, with all shaker bottles. And, um, I, I, I went for it, man. So, um, got our first prototype in, uh, put it up in this room that I'm in now, uh, about 10,000 units hugged, just. Carried them up the stairs, man. They're about sixty-pound boxes each one, and uh, started started testing them out, and realized really quickly that about half of them leaked. So that was the start <laughs> of the business. It was uh, it was a disaster, man. Uh, had to change out every single lid because we couldn't tell which ones were good, which ones were bad, and um, you know it ended up being a problem with the pop top. And out of the, pro- the all the prototypes we had, we never had an issue with the actual pop top, but for whatever whatever reason, when they did the big run. Uh, like half of them, because they were made in in sheets of two, I guess, uh, and and half of them were bad. So, you know, if it wasn't for passion and, and a really strong desire to um, you want to be in the fitness and, and health industry, I probably would have just stopped at that point. But um, man, I, I thought I had something amazing, and um, just kept going and had to grind it out. And within six months, we were able to uh, replace every lid and uh, <laughs> about eighty thousand dollars in sales before I got onto ABC Shark Tank
1: nice so like when you came up with this concept did you even know who to go to or what to even do to get rolling with this
4: um not really uh, my wife had started a business i've been doing that for five years and we were sourcing our own product um, so I did know a little bit uh, about how to find a manufacturer and how to get things done but uh, I definitely didn't even come close to knowing what I should know um, now that I learned as I went on and learned a lot more um, you know I, I realized I had no clue what i was doing and um, you know, I, I should have had outside inspection companies come in, third-party testing. Uh, I should have had a lot done before that ever came to market. But uh, man, I, I was just, I was just winging it for the most part. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you just, I kind of just learned as as I went. How did how did
3: so how did Shark Tank come about? Because that's uh, that's quite a journey to work with people like Mark Cuban and A Rod. I mean, that's just being in the room with them. I know you're you were a professional athlete, so. Probably don't get as nervous as us two lugheads, but that had to be quite the experience.
4: Yeah, man, it, it was. Um, it's kind of crazy. It was. It was all from an email in 2012 when I was with the Broncos. Our, our agent sent out an email to every player uh, that he had, and just said, "Hey, ABC Star Tank is looking for any current or former players that might have a cool idea to pitch." So I kept this email. I started. Um, I never even really looked at email at that time, so I didn't know what I was doing. But uh, I kind of just put that star on it, and I came back and it was almost five years later and found it. Wow. And, uh, you know, thought I'd just send an email and get right on the show. Right. And, uh, I shot one over and the girl, uh, whose email was on there wrote me back right away and was like, Hey, sorry, I don't work there anymore. So I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> kind of makes sense. Of right. Five years, later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but she was able to connect me with the person who did. And, uh, it was actually within like 10 minutes. I got another email back and, um, the girl was like, Hey, yeah, you know, here's the steps. We'd love to have you make a video and, um, kind of pitch us through this video. So told me what to do it was supposed to be like a couple minutes long. And, um, at that point I knew it was kind of like this one shot, you know, uh, they're looking for entertainment. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do something to kind of stand out. And at the same time, you also have to show them that you have a legit product and that it's actually selling. So, uh, that was the goal, man. I made this video was just like ripping off my shirt and like chugging protein shakes. I got my brothers in it. And, uh, it was ridiculous, like terrible editing. I didn't know how to edit. So I, that was like through iMovie and, um, I sent it over and I was like, they're going to either love this or hate it. And, uh, within a couple of days, I, I kept I kept checking you, you submitted through YouTube and you make it unlisted. So you could go see if, if anyone watched it. And after a couple of days, I saw like five or 10 views on it. So I was like, Oh man, it's about to go down. So <laughs> they, they were like, we absolutely love that video. So that was cool. But after that, it was just a, it was months of, of paperwork and just a process to still get on the show.
3: So was it their idea for you to bring your brothers actually on the show when you were on the show? Or was that your idea? Did you kind of pitch that again or did the video do it enough justice?
4: Uh, so they they definitely wanted the bros on the show as well. So that came about like later on. They were like, hey, uh, you know, it'll definitely help bring audience in. and It'll definitely make a better show as well. So it would help out everyone. And I knew that as well. So once they came on too, it was come. It was almost kind of like this guarantee that we we're going to record and that we we're going to air as well. Because what I didn't know and, and what you find out as you go through the process is that even if you get there and you get to the hotel and uh, you're there for the day of recording, some people still don't record. So uh, one of the first people I met when I got to the hotel, he was just sitting there and he was uh nervously just walking back and forth. And I'm like, hey, uh you know what actually he approached me he was like well, hey man you know you pitching today blah blah i was trying to get all this information i'm like yeah i think so and um i found out that he had been there the year before and just never got a chance to pitch so they brought him in and uh for whatever reason they just didn't uh didn't actually use him so he was just freaking out he's the second year in a row that he's back there and uh was really hoping that he was going to get on but then even after you record there's still a good chance that you don't actually air so um i think it's 70 percent of the ones that do record air but there's another 30 percent that you know they record it and and um you know for whatever reason they just don't like it or they don't think it's good enough and it doesn't make it to tv so bringing my bros on was almost this guarantee that um that i was going to air uh, so with that it gave me the ability to then you'll stack up on inventory you see a lot of shark tank companies sell out within like the first five minutes and you're like what were they thinking right but you know, between the fact that you don't know if you're gonna air and then you also don't find out when you're gonna air until two weeks before. So for most companies, it's it's impossible to stack up an inventory with a two week window. And that was the case for me as well. So um, I, I didn't really, I wouldn't call it gambling cause I almost, you know, I, I had a, almost probably a 95% chance of airing I would think just because my brothers were on it. So I just, the second we recorded and um, you know, we got some offers, I went and stacked up my inventory immediately.
3: So you you went to one of the biggest party schools in the country at <laughs> University of Arizona. So I have to imagine playing Flip Cup on the show was your idea? Yes.
4: It was 100% my idea. Okay. Uh they wanted us to do like some kind of fitness competition or push-ups or something like that and uh the more and more I thought of it I'm like that's just boring. Uh you know no one wants to see it, us do push-ups against the sharks like obviously we're going to win, you know, in any <laughs> competition. You know, like, it just wasn't going to be entertaining, so they kept trying to push that angle, and um, I just kept pushing back. and And I thought Flip Cup would be a really good idea, and um, you know they they were 100 percent against uh, promoting alcohol. You know, uh, they can't do that. At all it's ABC, it's a family show, and so I had to really convince them that, um, and tell them this nice story that we always used to play with water after games to get rehydrated. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. After, after telling them the same story after a couple of times. Um, you know, they, they went for it so uh, I think that's going to be the first and the only time you ever see flip cup on ABC <laughs> so that's probably because uh, Mark Cuban and arod don't want to do it <laughs> you could you could hey, see mark, when
1: they, when they got up there their eyes were pretty bugged like I don't know what to do here
4: well, mark was good man so mark got mad because he was he was the last one to go and um he was actually really good so I don't think they showed it but it didn't make it to him and so he just started at the end he's like, man you guys were just scared of me and he flipped it in one <laughs> uh, he, he, he he's played a lot I think because uh, he was pretty confident and he was, he was pissed that it didn't make it to him.
3: He seems like a guy you'd want to go get a beer with just he just seems like one of those dudes. I don't know.
4: <laughs> yeah man uh, I mean it sounds like he that's what he does with his players. I know um, after they won the championship there's a couple nice bar tabs out there. love it, love it.
3: How much actual time are you filming because what when it airs it's only what eight to ten minutes or something like
5: that
4: yeah man it, that's that's like it's if it's a double version I guess or like a double um, scene or, or whatever they call it but um yeah usually it could be five minutes but you're really in the room for and it could be hours I mean sometimes they say it's a couple hours for some people uh we were probably around maybe the hour mark its it's hard to tell because it goes by so fast when you're when you're pitching but I would say I was probably in there for an hour. Um, you know, they show the best parts. They don't show the parts where they just drilled me, asking me, you know, everything I did in high school and my first job and, you know, what I did right after college. Like they didn't show any of that stuff at all. Um, you know, asking my my grades, why I went to school, or why I transferred, stuff like that. They really dug down deep, and um, you know, for the most part, people don't really want to see that, and it's not as entertaining. Uh, and then they cut it to the first, you know, the best eight minutes, which half of it was playing flip cup. So (laughs) like four minutes of the actual pitch or actual uh, negotiation.
1: So what, what's the point in digging that far deep into your past just to make sure that nothing can come back on them if something is bad in your past or.
4: Yeah. I mean, they, they just want to see your character, um, see what you're doing. And, you know, I know they say it a lot on the show, but sometimes they're betting on the jockey, not the horse. And, uh, you know, that's kind of their philosophy as well so they're just trying to see my character and, and see what I did in the past and you can kind of tell you know by by someone's background you know what they were doing throughout high school and, and after um, you know the pros it definitely helps i mean uh, they love the fact that i you know I've had a job since I was 12 doing newspapers umpire and working for my dad at the age of 15 when I got out of the NFL you know I worked for my wife for and grew a business with her for five years so uh, just having a successful background helped a lot as well
3: so you mentioned uh, something interesting about you. You mentioned grades, and I heard you mention during another interview that you didn't actually get your, your first D1 scholarship based on necessarily your football ability, your athletic ability. It was your grades, right?
4: Yeah, so I guess my first one came from the University of Buffalo, um, but I didn't take it. I just At that time, they weren't very good, and um, I wanted to leave town. They didn't even have an indoor, and I'm like, there's no way. I'm practicing <laughs> outside in the snow every day. <laughs> uh, it's brutal, man. So, um, you know, that, that was really my only D one offer until the last, it was a two weeks left in, 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 summer. And, um, I was going to the university of Penn. I was committed. I got into the Wharton business school, which was something that is extremely hard to do. So it was a huge honor. And, um, yeah, I went on an official visit there and it just did not seem like the place for me, man. Uh, it, it seemed like, a you know, it was definitely not a party school. Um, and it was just, man, it, it just wasn't, what I was expecting out of college. So wasn't ex- extremely thrilled to go there and leave with 200K in debt. So I, I had this last minute offer come in uh, from the University of Maryland and really came because they lost some running backs um, that were supposed to come in. They didn't, they didn't pass their SATs or ACTs or whatever it was. So they had to start going to, you know, to prep school or, or JUCO instead. And then the actual team was about to go on academic probation as well. So my brother, Dan was there. He was doing well. Uh, he had really good grades and for me to come in, they just kind of told me like, Hey, we'll, we'll bring you in. Um, We'll give you a full scholarship because we have these extras, but you better have a 4.0 when you get here. So yeah, I mean, grades, it was definitely the reason that they did it um, was really because my brother, Dan, plus the fact that I just had really good grades.
3: So then why the move from Maryland to Arizona? Uh,
4: Also, man, it was um, let's see my, they were recruiting Rob and it's kind of when I went down, but um, I went there and yeah, I, I did everything I could, um never really felt like I should be there right um The, the head coach would walk by me in the hall and I'd say hi to him he turn his head the other way uh Ouch. so it's kind of like that atmosphere where you just never felt like you belonged right and so uh red shirt in my my freshman year came back out my uh you know red shirt uh freshman year, and I was playing special team stuff like that had the highest strength index on the team, had good grades and um you know, it came to a point where I got hurt in practice uh, and I was the goal line fullback. So you have to have two fullbacks on, on goal line and I was, the, you know, the second one. And uh, we couldn't run goal line that day. And this was the one practice I missed. The one thing, this is this is the only time it's ever happened. And, um, you know, it was to the point where I couldn't even walk. You know, I, I tried playing through everything and I just couldn't walk. So I, I couldn't, we couldn't run goal line that day. And uh, that spring ball, um, it was like a week later, my brother Rob came in and my brother and and my uh, my dad was there as well. And, you know, uh, they're talking to the head coach and that coach says says to him that, you know, we love Dan, but I don't think your brother Chris will ever play for us for us. So, wow, um, it was just a decision where it's like, all right, man, if that's how you feel about me missing one practice after I've done everything I possibly could to to be the best player I could, then you know, I need to make a decision here. So, um, you know, at that point, Rob was like, hell no, I'm not coming to this school. Uh, <laughs> to this guy, if he's, he's going to disrespect my brother like that. So, uh, you know, Rob was out and um, I played with him throughout high school and and I loved playing with him because it just took us to another level when we played together. And so we started talking about it. Uh, He had every single scholarship offer pretty much in the nation. Uh, So at that point, it was kind of like, hey, um, you know, let me let me hit you along, man. And and who else will will keep me on scholarship if I go with you? So um, ended up making the decision to go to Arizona. Just um, a family friend was really pushing it. And Rob really saw it as a good opportunity with Sonny Dykes going there, um, threw the threw the ball eighty times to the tight end previously. And um, you know, he'd kind of be that that big fish in, in, in a small pond kind of field where he'd come in and just dominate early on and um really grow a program from from nothing to something great. And we were able to accomplish that in the couple of years that we were there.